Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. Another 365 days had come and gone, and my next guest, Chantel, was bringing in a milestone birthday. She was saying goodbye to her 20s and welcoming her 30s. For some, this is a big one, a birthday that merits a bigger party, a bigger celebration. For Chantel, it would be the day that she made the decision to leave her abusive marriage and start down a path of transformation. A few years into her journey, friends and family took notice of her change and started asking questions. They wanted to know how had she become so much happier, so much healthier, and so much more confident. These conversations ended up leading Chantel to write a book that's called Create a Life You Love, 10 Healthy Habits to Transform Your Life Now. Hey, Chantel, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so looking forward to diving in and hearing your story of transformation. Thank you so much, Candice. I loved your intro. Wonderful. I'm excited awesome. to be here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go back to life pre-marriage. So what was single life looking like for you and how did you end up meeting and then getting into a relationship with your former husband? Yeah. Oh man, that's a, that's a loaded question there, Candace. So I've always struggled with anxiety, depression, extremely low self-esteem. Um, and so I, you know, my previous dating relationships weren't always the healthiest either. And I did not enter into that marriage as a happy, healthy individual. Um, and so there's that. Um, but yeah, my life looked like I was, let's say I was 26, I think when we met 26, 27. Um, and I met him on match.com and I had laid out these like non-negotiables. And one was, I love where I did live and where I now live again, Wichita, Kansas. I have a great family system, support system. I, I love the community. I love the location. I just love everything about it. So one of my things was I'm not moving. I was an army brat growing up. I've lived in all these different countries. Like I love to travel, but I, at that point was just like, I want to live in Wichita and I'm not moving for anybody. And that was the first thing he was in the air force and he was not stationed in Wichita. And so I did not want to even give him a chance. And I was at one of my local little hangouts, uh, Mort's Martini Bar. If anybody's ever been to Wichita, you probably know Mort's um, <laughs> for a friend's sister's 21st birthday. And they just were curious. They're just like, oh, how's the dating scene going? And I rolled my eyes and I'm like, it's the worst. I hate it. Look, there's even this bozo. Like I explicitly said, I'm not moving. Like, why would he even reach out to me? He doesn't meet any of my things, blah, 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 blah. And so she reads it and she's like, he sounds great. You really should be open and give someone a chance. You're blocking your own happiness. Take a risk. <laughs> if we could fast forward, like she never, ever, like she's the kindest, most caring person. She never would have done that had she known what a POS he is. Um, <laughs> so do but, you think, do you think like that was your intuition, like saying no, because I know um, like in the online, like you have your non-negotiables, but sometimes they can be flexible depending on, you know, 
what they are. Um, or, you know, maybe for some people completely not, but enlisting a whole bunch of them, maybe there's one that's like willing to give, or, you know, if it's like, um, this great love, maybe I'd move, but do you think that was your intuition? Just saying like, no, this isn't it. And then kind of getting talked into it or, or what do you think about that? Maybe I, I never really until my recent years considered myself a very intuitive person. I think I ignored a lot of my gut feelings. Um, I'm a recovered people pleaser. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would ignore my own intuition, my own gut feeling if it meant I wouldn't upset somebody or I'd make somebody else happy or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, I think on some level, I didn't want, I didn't want what she said to be true that I was, you know, in the way of my own happiness. And then once I met him, he seemed, he was seemingly very charming and wonderful and charismatic and all the wonderful things that people pretend to be. Um, And then Yeah. So I just thought, this is it. This is my knight in shining armor. He's too good to be true. FYI, if you ever hear yourself saying or thinking something's too good to be true, run. Um, (laughs) It probably is. (laughs) Okay. So before you got into this relationship, you said kind of you had some anxiety and you weren't confident. Was there anything like in your childhood that you think that stemmed from? Was it like the moving from place to place, or was there something from your childhood that kind of ingrained that in you? Yeah. Um, and I want to preface it with, this was my perception and how I internalize things. I am incredibly blessed with an amazing family. Um, and I have since met my birth father and him and his family are amazing, but I grew up looking very much like my Mexican birth father and raised by my amazing white mother and her awesome white husband who adopted me and is my dad. And they had my super fantastic white sister. (laughs) And then we moved every two years and we were church going family. And those old little nosy church ladies would love to be, Oh, where did you get your beautiful skin from? And yeah. (laughs) So it was just constantly, I was constantly the new kid constantly, brought up. Like I couldn't just have the community around me be like, okay, this is the Cox family and they're great. And they're wonderful. Like every two years that was disrupted and we had to do the whole rigmarole again. And it was just brought up again and uncomfortable again. And at the time I had no idea. Um, but yeah, as an adult reflecting upon it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that wasn't great. And the way that I internalized it and perceived it was, inaccurate and painful for myself and hurtful for my growth. Mm, Yeah. Trying to, uh, every time that you move so frequently being, I mean, not like we want to blend in, but, um, for people to get their nose in that business and say the things as a young child that definitely can, um, leave some scars there for sure. Yeah. I never learned, like I still as an adult joke that I'm the worst Mexican ever. And like, so we'd live somewhere with a high, um, Hispanic Latina population. And then that popular, like they, Oh, you're the new girl. And they just start rattling off in Spanish. And I'm like, well, I don't fit in with you. And I come over here. I don't fit in here. I don't fit. Like, I just never felt like I fit. Hmm. 
So then you met this charismatic um, guy. Who's um, also Mexican, by the way. So that, yeah. <laughs> okay. And then he, you got out of your own way. Your friend is like, you need to get out of your own way. You gave it a chance. Um, did you end up moving then to be in the relationship? I did. We did. Um, most of our dating was done while he was on deployment. So it was via Skype. Zoom was not a thing back then. Um, and he could, if I said something that upset him, cause apparently that's in his words, all I could do. Um, he was able to come up with a reason why he needed to get off zoom, like real fast or Skype really fast. So I never saw the anger. Um, I just saw like we'd be on and then he'd have to be off. Um, and so, and I'm also was, and still am full-time in the education system. I'm a special education teacher. And so my, my availability of when I could move was tied to the school system and my teacher contract. And so we were engaged and we probably, I probably would not have moved down when I did based on the relationship, but it was kind of like, if I don't do it now, I'm stuck here again for a whole nother year. And very keeps us apart enough. This is one variable that I can take control of. I can move down there. I can get a job there. And yes, we'll still have times apart because of deployment, but at least when you're here, we're together and we can start our family. Okay. So you got engaged. So, um, when you did get engaged, like how did that feel? Were you, was it at a point in the relationship where you thought like, you know, you said he was charismatic at first and like, was kind of too good to be true. Were things at a really good place when you actually did get engaged? Yeah. Um, I was very happy. Um, I was very excited. I thought things like this is finally happening for me. I'm finally the one who got the amazing guy. Um, I thought I'd be single forever, or I just keep getting these duds. Um, nobody, this wonderful has ever paid attention to me. Um, yeah, I thought, you know, I was, thought I'd hit the jackpot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So then how long afterwards did you find out that in fact, things were too good to be true? Um, so I moved down there in July and then he got back from it. So I moved into his house and he's not even there. Um, he didn't get back till October and we had a wedding date set for late December. And again, I said, you know, my family was church going family. (laughs) Um, so my dad's very, um, very firm in his Christian beliefs and just really started saying like, I'm really not comfortable with you guys living together. He got, he came back early from the deployment, which is great. We're glad he's home. We're glad he's safe, but you know, we think you should get your own apartment until, um, Yeah. So, but I took a huge pay cut moving to that state from Kansas, which is not a great paying state to start with. And so I was telling myself things like I can't afford my own apartment. And so instead of even really giving that idea the time of day, we moved our wedding up. And so now he's just back from a deployment. We're figuring each other out for the first time. We're planning a rush, like almost two months early wedding, um, 
just trying to figure out all the things. And he had a son from a previous marriage. So I'm trying to figure out how to be a stepmom. Um, I don't have my support system. I don't have my people. Like I was just trying to figure it all out. And so, and I, at that time had no, um, like really coping skills. Like I would lash out. I, I was not handling the stress well. And so then when he would respond very cruelly and then say, blame it on me, like I did take a lot of ownership and I did say, well, yeah, I, I, I did do that. I did say that that was hurtful. That was not the adult response that I should have had. And you're coming back and into this and I'm in your home and like, you're also going through all these things. So yeah. Okay. Like I didn't deserve it, but you know, he did all the apologizing and said all the right things. We've all seen a lifetime movie. We know the spiel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so like one day I did, I packed my bags and I went and I sat in the parking lot of a hotel and I was just like bawling and I was on the verge of calling my mom and telling her, and this was probably a week or two before my wedding. And he called me and gave the whole thing. And I went back because there was a level of me that was so, I just could not even imagine like going back to Wichita and telling everybody like what a huge mistake I had made. Um, and just what an idiot I was like, I didn't want to own that. And so apparently going back to him and giving him a second chance seemed like a better idea than just being like, screw you, buddy. I'm out. (laughs) Well, I don't think you're alone in that. I feel like a lot of people stay in a lot of different circumstances, relationship or not because of, um, having to say like, yeah, this was a mistake or like face the people, um, and the judgments possibly that could come with it, even though it's their own happiness that they're kind of foregoing because, um, yeah, sometimes just saying, yeah, this wasn't the best idea, um, can be really hard. Yeah. And then again, that, that teacher contract calendar, I felt trapped by that too. I'm like, it's the end of October. I'm stuck here till the end of May. Like, even if I do break off the engagement, what, what does that look like? What does that mean for me? Like I'm stuck. I felt truly stuck. Mm, okay. So a couple weeks later, you have your wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that go? Was it in the new state you were in or did you have it mm-hmm. back home? Um, it was, I wanted it back with my people because he didn't really have a lot of people. Another red flag that I ignored, Um, (laughs) but it was easier to plan from there and all the things, anything that he did to further isolate me for my support system um, or control something. He always had a very reasonable reason that if I even questioned it, made me seem like I was the crazy person. There was a lot of gaslighting going on. I did not know what that term was at the time. Um, And for people who don't know what that term or aren't familiar with it, what is gaslighting? Yeah, it's from an old black and white movie, which I love black and white movies. So I'm surprised I hadn't seen it. It's called Gaslight. And um, basically the husband makes the woman think that she's insane. He keeps going out and flickering the gaslight uh, on the the street that she can see out of her window. And she's like, it's flickering. It's doing this. I think this is happening. And he is just like, no, it's not like, it's fine. I'm I'm looking at it right now. No, it's like, and he just completely makes her think 
that she is insane and he's intentionally doing all these things to manipulate and control her and make her feel crazy. And thus we have the term gaslighting. Okay. So that was happening in your relationship. Your, um, husband was making you feel like you were crazy, had all of the reasons why, um, made everything sound reasonable. What was that like? Like, did you, did you feel like, man, am, am I crazy? Like, is this me? Or did you know, like this, this isn't like who I am, like what, like whatever he's saying, like he might have all of the, the reasons, but like, I know like this, this isn't me. So how, how were you in that situation? Yeah. Um, I feel like I've blocked a lot of it, <laughs> um, but I know there was definitely a sense of my own pride. Like I didn't want to admit to anybody that anything was wrong and I had made a mistake. Um, there was a sense of disbelief in myself, um, because he was the, the, larger than like, like kind of person. And so one seemingly wonderful, I thought he had fooled everyone else. And that if I were to say anything, the immediate response would be, that doesn't sound like him. What did you do? Like, there's more to that. There's two sides to every story, Chantel, what's your responsibility in here? And I wasn't innocent. Um, I, I never physically other than in self-defense, but I was not like abusive or mean or cruel to him, but I would, lash out. And then even stories my parents would tell of me growing up, like they'd be like, yeah, we'd be like, Oh, you did this. You're grounded. And you would say something smart, like, Oh, you think that? Okay, fine. What? Oh, it's one week, make it two. And they're like, really? Okay. Two weeks. Okay. Well, da, da, da. and they're like, and now you have to wash the car. I'm like, sweet, bring it on. And they're like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> and so they were like rehashing these stories in front of me and him. Um, Cause it was, it's amusing and it's funny. And then he would come back and use that against me as like, you've been doing this for years. This is you, you have this pattern. Um, and he's like, you're lucky that your parents didn't do this to you, um, to make you shut up. You need to learn, learn your lesson. Oh yeah. <laughs> so horrible. How long were you in your marriage? Um, I am extremely blessed, um, from, our first date. So basically the high, nice to meet you to the judge signing off with, uh, for the divorce being finalized was right. Just slightly over two years long. Um, so the marriage, I lived there for about a year. The marriage legally was about nine months, but I left after about seven months. And then it just took a couple months after I left to get it all finalized. Wow. Thank goodness. Yes. And And another huge blessing is we did not have children together. So I got a clean break. Wow. Like, thank goodness that, you know, not everybody is as lucky and and is in like an abusive um, relationship for years and sometimes even their whole lives um, because of so many fears and uh, yeah, they can be stuck in that. So it was your 30th birthday when you made that decision, like, what was it leading up? Like, was that kind of, um, a spontaneous decision on your 30th birthday or, or had you known coming up, like things have to change and it's going to be on my 30th, like, no, um, 
things were escalating and I told him two deal breakers before he ever drove up to meet me for our first date. I said, you have a child from a previous marriage and I want children. Um, so if you don't want more then don't even come up and meet me because that's a deal breaker. And number two, I don't believe in divorce. So, and you've got one under your belt. Um, so if you ever think that that's a escape option or whatever, don't bother driving up here because if we ever make it to that point, like you're stuck with me. Um, so you better make good and well sure that you want to be <laughs> like that. This is a good fit. And so those were my two deal breakers that I told him before we ever met. And then I continued. And so we had bought a new house. We had picked out the nursery. Um, we were doing all the things and leading up to my 30th birthday. And he had kept for, you know, seemingly very good reasons, putting off, putting off, putting off of when we were going to start our own family. And so we had decided, okay, big blowout for your 30th birthday. And then let's do what we need to do to start trying to build our own family. And a couple of weeks prior, he just says, you know, I know it's a deal breaker, but you know, my son's getting ready to go into kindergarten. I just really don't think I want to go back to the diapers. And I know you said that's a deal breaker. So I know that means you have to leave and I'm sorry. What? Yep. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And, um, so there was several days of just like absolute, just turmoil, just internal, like, what the hell do I do with this information? Um, lots of tears. And so finally I came to him and I just said, well, I told you two deal breakers. One was the kid. The other was divorce. You've taken away my opportunity to have a kid. So now I'm going to continue in therapy that I was already in trying to work on myself so that he wouldn't beat the crap out of me. Um, and then I said, now I'm going to target how to cope with this in a way that I don't hate you for the rest of my life. Um, but what I can't do is leave you because of deal breaker number two. Um, and then the abuse, re- the physical really, really went way up in frequency, intensity, all the things. And I found out much later that he had to get me out of the picture because he'd been cheating on me and knocked her up and had, was needing to get me out, to move her and his new child in. But when I dug in my heels unknowingly and said, well, I'll find a way around this and stay with you. That was not the answer he wanted. So he was going to get rid of me one way or another. Oh my goodness. Like that just blows my mind. So insane. Like, did any of your friends or family, I know that you were, um, in a new state. So, you know, I know with a lot of people who manipulate, they isolate. So did any of your friends and your family like see anything going on or did you talk to anybody about it or did you just keep it all to yourself? Uh, I kept it all to myself for a long time until the night before I left. Actually, (laughs) it was the the night before I left was the first time. And actually it was like five in the morning, the day I left. So it was kind of the day of, um, and Yes, I I was isolated. I was teaching on the school that served the base kids. And so all the other teachers, most of the other teachers were 
military wives. Um, and so I grew up in an army family. I knew how the military worked. Like you do not talk about your personal life and you don't connect with, you know, the higher commander's wife. And like, you just like, there are very spoken, unspoken, uh, there's a gray line there on, on like the rules there. Um, and so I was incredibly isolated for that reason, but then he also would make sure, I mean, he just sabotaged any type of friendship I would try and create and make it seem like, you know, well, you're not 28 anymore. You're not in Wichita. You're not unmarried. Like, no, you can't go out with a friend. Like, no, like you are a wife and a mom. Now we're going to go watch my kid play at the park. Like, how dare you want a social life? Like, <laughs> Wow. Oh yeah. my goodness. There's like so much, so much in that. So you unknowingly are like, okay, I'm going to deal with maybe not having a child with you. I'm going to go cope, go to therapy, do all the things. Um, because I, uh, believe like, I don't believe in divorce. I told you that before. So I am going to, um, um, work on things so that we can still stay together. So even like through all of the abuse and that, was there ever a time where you thought, you know what, I'm just going to have to go back on my non-negotiable. Like I can't do this. Or were you just so stuck in that? Because that was one of your belief um, and your values. Yeah. It wasn't until my dad gave me permission for lack of better word to leave that I even let that thought enter my mind. Um, I, so to, to my best friends from Wichita came down for my 30th birthday and we had a wonderful time in our beautiful pool and backyard that was in this house that we bought with our little nursery and um, the seemingly from the outside looking in perfect life that I had created. Um, and we stayed up a little late and we had a little too many cocktails. And I finally told my best friend, who's like my sister, um, a, just a tip of the iceberg, some of the small things like the not have, not wanting kids and just things like that. And she is a licensed clinical social worker. So like her spidey senses were kind of going off already, but she didn't want to say anything because I'd already gotten so isolated. She didn't want that to go any further. Um, but the next morning when I woke up, I mean, just a few hours later, cause we didn't go to bed till 5.00 AM. It's apparently something we do still <laughs> all these years later. <laughs> when you get with the girls. Oh yeah. Like those, those few times when you get with the girls, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day we're like, why are those darn birds tripping? Oh, we did it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, she was just like, you're on summer break. I don't know. She's like, you have to tell your family. I have, you have to leave with me. I don't, I can't tell you what you're going to do after that, but that's what I need to do right now. Like I cannot leave you here. And I said, okay, well, I got to get the marriage license and the passport and get up in the attic and get my cat carrier and this, that, and the other. Um, and she's like, Oh, you're ready to go. Okay. I thought that was going to be a lot harder conversation. Let's go. (laughs) And so two friends had driven down in one car. And so she drove the car that they came in and my friend drove me in my car and we loaded up the two cars with what we could and off we went. And, um, 
on the way, I called my mom and my sister and be like, Hey, sis, I'm on my way. And can I stay with you for a minute? Um, and then called my mom and her first response was, well, I know Melissa was up there last night and I know you girls sometimes. And then I was like, mom, this is the last that like this happened like two days ago. And I told her a story and she goes, your father and I are on our way. And so then they jumped in the car and drove down and met at my sister's house too. And then, um, I'm just like word vomiting all these things that I've been holding in for so long. And again, still fairly filtered. And I mean, they could tell like, this is not the whole story, but this is alarming enough that this is not okay. And so I'm sitting on this couch and my dad gets down on my level. So we're like eye contact. And he said, do you feel this is salvageable? And I said, I I don't know what you mean. Divorce is a sin. And we did vows before, you know, all the Sunday school answers. And, um, he goes, I don't think this is salvageable. And I think if you go back the next time I see you, we'll be in a body bag. Mm. And I was like, so what do I do? And his response was lawyer up. Mm-hmm. My response was start crying. I mean, it's my 30th birthday. I don't know how to lawyer up. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Like a couple of things. So he obviously must have been deployed or gone at that time. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> we were supposed to leave that morning together. Um, on, cause I had been telling him like, I feel so disconnected from you. We're going out of town on this weekend to, I have one of the Dakotas. He was going to be a best man in who the guy who was the best man in our wedding. He was going to be best man in his wedding. And I said, this will be a great time for us to reconnect. And cause he was like, oh, I think we should bring my son. And like, I really need some, I've not had any one-on-one adult time with you. Like we have got to reconnect. We are not good. Um, and so that was the plan. And then that morning he woke up and he was not impressed with my friend and I staying up late. And so he's like, you, he's like, I don't care what you do. Like go up to your sisters, whatever. Uh, but you don't deserve this trip. I'm going without you. And him knowing, like, I have somebody else. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Cause I was like, you're leaving early. And like, so where are you going to stay? And this was a kind of red flag. I don't, I'll just sleep in my car. I'm like, what the hell are you going to sleep in your car? Like you can afford a hotel, dude. Like, what are you doing? And then I was like, it's, he going to go with someone else? Does he, does he have another girl's house? He's going to go sleep at, but then all the other things happen. So I kind of didn't think about it too. Oh my gosh. So like, thank goodness your dad, like what a blessing that, um, he, yeah, for lack of a better word, gave you permission. Do you think that if your dad wouldn't have said that to you, that you would have tried to rekindle things? Um, my thoughts and words in the car on the way up there was this is a this is going to be a wake up call. Um, this will give us space to work on ourselves as individuals, and then in the fall when school starts back up, I'll go down. We'll continue working on us. You know, at our twenty fifth wedding anniversary, we're going to look back on this and be like, man, our first year was so hard, but look what a beautiful marriage we've had now. Like, thank goodness we got past that. I was straight up delusional. Like <laughs> there's no way that that was going to be a reality, even if he hadn't, you know, 
already moved on. (laughs) Um, but yeah. And and then, so that's where I was before my dad's permission, but knowing now what I know, I'm not sure what he would have done to make sure that I didn't come back because he did not want me back. Right. Right. So even if you maybe would have wanted to work on things and make it work and, um, stay married, um, then maybe, yeah, he would have done something in his power to, Mm -hmm. to make sure that the, the marriage didn't go any farther. Um, okay. So is this like freedom for you? Like when your dad says that to you, um, like, I'm sure there had to be some grief and some other stuff, you know, you had met this man who was charming at first, um, kind of, um, came off really well. Then things got really bad and really dark. What was that like next? Yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, a ton of grief, a ton of mourning of, this person I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with this person that I was about to try to have a baby and build a family with this person I gave up everything for like, is just boom, like without notice, just not a person in my life anymore. Um, he's been such a key person in my life. And, you know, we called each other, you're, you're my life partner and my best friend and like all this stupid middle school BS. Um, (laughs) that makes me want to like throw up even thinking about it now. I'm like, well, gross. Um, (laughs) and so, yeah, I, I had to, I'm like, I don't even know what my life looks like now. Like if, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be, I should be, uh, married and with a family by 30, not filing for divorce on my 30th birthday. Like what the hell have I done? I just blew up my life. I blew up any chance of motherhood. I blew up like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, and so there is definitely a moment of freedom of, Oh, you mean I can leave? Like I'm not stuck. And then the panic of, well, crap, what do I do with that information? And then the, we just took action. I mean, I just got a pen and paper and wrote down, these are the things I have to do. And I just became a taskmaster just from when I woke up to when I fell asleep, like just knock out this, 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 like I did not have time to process or think or get emotional. I just went through every phone call I had to make every email I had to make, um, had to start doing job interviews. Like I need a job, (laughs) but figure out, I need a place to live. I got to go look at places, um, all these things. And eventually when the dust kind of settled, then the morning of I've lost what I thought my life was going to look like. Um, and then it was very messy for probably about six months of, I hated my apartment. I hated being alone. I hated quiet. Like I did not want the space to think or process. It was too painful. The only time I would allow myself to do that was at my weekly therapy appointment. Um, and even then I had a lot of walls up (laughs) and was like, I don't want to talk about that right now. (laughs) Um, and then eventually I finally was able to start creating a new vision for myself and thinking, okay, if that's not my life, 
Am I going to sit here and be sad about that for the rest of my life? Or what does that mean my life could be? Like, what if I looked at this as an opportunity? Um, and so thus my transformational journey finally began. Oh, how beautiful that you were in that moment. And that was the decision that you made to, um, what to visualize and think about what could your life look like? What, what kind of things came up for you when you thought like, what could it be like? Yeah. Um, so my birthday's in June and my, this conversation with myself was happening on the 1st of January. So literally right around six months later, and I'd gone out the night before with some friends who all were happily coupled up and we had so much fun and everything was great until the clock struck midnight and everybody had someone to kiss except for me. And I started bawling and just feeling so alone and just pity partying and was like that girl that nobody wants to be out with. <laughs> like, and they're like, Oh God, let's get her out of here. She's a buzzkill. <laughs> so they got me safely home. And so the next morning I wake up, I don't feel good because I had drank too much. And I am so just mortified that I became that girl and that my friends had to pause their night and take care of me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like what? I am not 18. Like, come on. Like I'm an adult. Like I'm 30 years old. Like what's your problem? (laughs) Um, so just all those kind of a big shame spiral going down and just kind of found myself asking myself, okay, had I not left, I probably would not have even woken up today. I probably would not be alive at this moment. So I've been given a second chance at life. What am I doing with it? It, I was, I had no purpose, no fulfillment. No, like it was just wake up, go, 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 go home, pass out, rinse and repeat. Um, no joy, no passion, no goals, no nothing. I just was going through the motions. And I'm like, this is not how I want to live the rest of my life. And um, so I wrote down things that I'd always wanted to do that I hadn't done for my 30th birthday, I really had wanted to go skydiving to which I was told that's very expensive. And if you're going to spend that kind of money, it should be something that our son can enjoy too. And that's dangerous. And you're a mom and a wife. Now you can't just go jumping out of airplanes. People depend on you. Like how selfish can you be? So I did not go skydiving on my 30th. So I wrote down, I want to go skydiving because now he can't tell me no. (laughs) (laughs) And I had always wanted to learn how to salsa dance. So I live in Kansas. It's January skydiving, not an option. Um, (laughs) Googled salsa dancing, found a class the next day, um, went through a ton of talking myself in and out and trying to get people to come with me. And it was a whole thing. I was terrified to go so far out of my comfort zone, but I went and I didn't die. And then the next week I went back and the next week I went back and I started meeting the most amazing people. Um, and it just creating this very safe, joyful, welcoming environment of people that showed themselves, me and others, grace. Nobody was 
judging like oh you're a beginner you don't know what you're doing like everyone's like we were all beginners get out here keep coming back let's go like just so helpful and I'm like what do you mean I don't have to know this perfectly without ever like being exposed to it before like (laughs) (laughs) um so I'm also a recovered perfectionist um and so just a completely different way to look at the world and it just unlocks something within me um to where I was waking up every morning, just so excited. Um, like Tuesday was salsa night. And so as I was getting ready, I'm listening to salsa music and like salsa dancing in my kitchen while making my coffee. And Wednesday <laughs> was bachata night. So I'm listening to that. And like Thursday was, I don't know, West coast swing, or I can't remember all the nights anymore, but, um, I was dancing like six days a week and every night had a different type of dance. And I just was so excited when I woke up and just was joyous and free. And I had never experienced that. And being that active, I lost weight naturally without trying. And then I joined this dance team and we're traveling and performing and dancing. And, um, I just had this confidence that I didn't know was possible. And so then, yeah, as people are looking in, they're like, who are you? Um, they're like, man, like you are glowing, and they're like, you're so happy and confident. And how do I do whatever you've done? Like, what have you done and how do I do it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So and on my 31st birthday, I took myself skydiving. Boom. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I knew, I knew that was coming. I'm like, I bet she did <laughs> on her 31st birthday. So you did the skydiving and in your book, um, one of the things that you, that was so helpful in your transformation was busting out of your comfort zone and joining the salsa dance. So, and like you said, that changed things for you. You woke up like joyful. You were happy. You were accepted. You got your confidence, um, from going to these dance classes. So, um, what do you say to someone else who is so scared to like, I think so many people get stuck, right? Like, well, if I don't have a friend to go with, I can't go by myself. I can't just like walk in a room or, oh, I've never done it before. What if I look like an idiot or I don't know what to say. These people already know each other. There's a community and I'm like the new person. Like, um, I think that keeps people so stuck in so many areas where there's so much joy in that for you. So like, what do you say to someone who, um, is living the mundane who's, you know, reliving groundhog day over and over because they're just too damn scared to get out of their comfort zone. What do you want to say to them? Yeah. Um, I was there. I get it. I tried so hard to get someone to come with me and the whole day leading up, I was like, I'm going, it's going to be fine. I'm not going. No way. Am I going? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. You can't do that. And like, it just was a torturous day. (laughs) And I finally went, um, I'm so glad I did. And so I really discovered life does truly happen outside of your comfort zone. We get so safe and so stuck in the rut and life isn't supposed to be like that. So by getting out of my comfort zone, it's also like a muscle. And so, yeah, the first time was like, so, so, so terrifying. And then the second time was also pretty damn scary. And then the third time, and eventually though, that studio became my comfort zone. Like it was my happy place. And 
Like I can't imagine being uncomfortable there. Like that is where I was free. That is where I could be me. Um, and so that was just bizarre to me. So then I'm like, well, what else am I keeping myself from? And so your comfort zone gets bigger because then, okay. So in the studio is my comfort zone now. Oh, there's, you're forming a performance dance team. Like you're going to, you're going to travel and perform in front of other people. I was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) And voila, I joined and I did. Um, And it again, went through all those same, I can't do that. And here's the list of reasons why, and I'm scared. Here's the list of reasons why, but when you push out of it and you push out of it, so then take this person who's scared to walk into a dance studio seven years ago. I had those same limiting beliefs when I'm like, oh, my story could help people. I've always liked writing. Maybe I should tell my story in a book. They all come, I can't do that. Who the hell's going to read your book? You don't have anything to say. Who are you to write a book? And you push past it and then you get it out there. And then people are like, I read your book. I love it. I want to host a book signing. I don't know how to do a book signing. Who the hell am I to do a book signing? Nobody's <laughs> going to show up. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it I, just keeps going if you allow it to. Well, I love that you bring that up, that it's like kind of a constant thing because every time you get out of your comfort zone, those same feelings come up, but you just have to keep moving forward and keep showing up through the uncomfortable because eventually like your salsa, um, studio became your comfort zone. Like how incredible is that? So as we kind of expand and grow and try new things, like they keep coming back. So, um, just keep showing up and doing it because how beautiful that, yeah, your something that was so out of your comfort zone ended up being the place where you thrived. So, people started, um, noticing like you are glowing, you are a different person. Um, and from those conversations, like people wanted to know, like, how did you do this? You wrote a book going through this, the different, um, steps that people could take to create a life that they love. So where did that kind of come out of like after the conversations. Yeah. Um, I remember, and I, I'm sure there was multiple seeds that were planted to get me there, but I specifically remember one conversation with my friend, Stacy. Um, I'm a member of this, uh, swim club, this pool that it's also my happy place in the summer that also at one point was not in my comfort zone. I'm like, I don't do swimsuits in public. You must be crazy. Um, <laughs> And now it's my happy place and I can't wait for it to open. It just closed. And I'm already like, okay, how many days till pool season? Um, (laughs) But we're sitting there and she's just like, oh my gosh, girl, like you're amazing. And I mean, she knew me, she met me right after my divorce. She didn't know me before the marriage. Um, But she kind of watched all of this transformation over a couple of summers. And so she was like, what in the world? And she's just like, telling me the things that she's seen. And you know, like that whole, like you put a frog in a pot and you start boiling the water, it won't notice it's getting hotter and it'll just boil to death. But if you put a frog in a hot 
pot of boiling water, it jumps out. It's like, get me out of here. Like I, it's like a weird like twist on this because it's a positive thing, but like you can't see necessarily as much as somebody who only sees me three months out of the year and then not, not see me for nine months. And then boom, here's three months. And she's like, whoa, like you have done. Wow. What? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? So she had a unique perspective, um, by just being able to see, um, in that way. And I wasn't fully aware of it. I just was doing my thing and loving my life. And so that brought some realization to me that allowed me some time to reflect. And then she was like, no, seriously, like I'm asking, like, what did you do and how can I do it? And so I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm reading a lot of books and listening to a lot of podcasts. And then like the things I keep hearing a lot, like repeated by lots of people, I'm like, well, let's try it out. And then it helped. And so then I was like, well, what else is everyone telling me to do that I'm like being resistant to? Cause it's weird. And I've never done it before. And she's like, well, like what? And so I tell her about a gratitude journal and she's like, oh, what? That sounds stupid. I'm like, I know. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> who has time for that? Um, and I said, that's exactly what I thought. And I'm like, but I eventually tried and here's what happened. She's like, so what do I do? I'm like, it is so easy. I'm like you get like a notebook or a piece of paper. And I just wake up in the morning and I spend a couple minutes thinking about what are three things I'm grateful for. And I write them down. And she's like, and then what? I'm like, and then I go about my day. She's like, so how is that helpful? I'm like, I have no idea, but all of a sudden, like throughout my day, I I'm finding other things I'm grateful for that I can't wait to put down in my journal. So now I don't just do it in the morning. Now I might add something midday or at the end of my day. And so it's just shifted my perspective. Now I'm looking for things to be grateful for instead of looking for things that might go wrong or looking for like, like I've always been a pessimist and this is helping my train, my brain to be an optimist and I don't understand it, but it's happening. Um, spoiler alert, I do understand it now, but I didn't at the time. <laughs> I'm like, I knew this is what I did and it worked. So I told her and she went and tried it. And so then like the next week she's like, oh my gosh, I've been doing it this week. And here's what happened. What else could I do? And I'm like, oh shit, I don't know. Um, affirmations. And she's like, what is that? And so I started explaining it. She's like, stop it. Like the Saturday night live guy, Stuart Smalley. She's like, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, I know that's what I said too. (laughs) (laughs) And, but as I'm sharing these tiny little things and she's putting things in place and it's helping her, I'm like, oh, oh, these things, I could maybe use this terrible thing that happened to me and the transformation that followed. Like, I don't have to keep it to myself. I don't have to like this little light of mine, like hide it under a bush. Like I can go out and let it shine. I can use my story to help people like, huh? So I tried to start a YouTube channel and I didn't like it. I didn't, cause I'm a, I was a perfectionist and I would to make a three minute video I would record and re-record and re-record and finally get like a 10 minute like thing that was okay. And then spent time editing and editing and editing and making it perfect. And then finally 27 hours of work later, have a three minute video clip. And I was like, this sucks. I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm like, why do people do this? This is the worst. Um, but I always liked writing. And so I was like, well, what if instead of making my little tips on little videos, I put it in a written format and thus became, well, maybe I should write a book. <laughs> and now you have a published book. Yeah that helps people create a life that they love also. Like how incredible that you, um, that people showed you, or I don't even know if it showed you, but um, took the time to tell you what they saw. You know, sometimes people don't say anything and just observe from afar and are just like, wow, that's so incredible. But like people coming up to you and saying like, what? like there is such a difference. Like you're a different person. What did you do? Help me do the same. And, um, yeah, you helped transform other people's lives and then created a book from all of the little tidbits that are, like you said, I completely agree. Like gratitude should be my middle name. Um, I've doing, I've been doing gratitude for like six years, um, currently like teaching people about gratitude. And it's like the little tiniest, simplest things that you implement and are consistent about, like transform your whole life. So in your book, I absolutely loved it. I read it and it is these 10 steps that they're little tiny things that make a world of difference. Like you don't have to overhaul your life and throw everything out. Like the little tiniest things make the biggest impact. So yeah, that's just incredible that now that you are helping other people do the same, that maybe were in a similar situation or not, you know, there's so many people out there, um, just doing the day to day and there's so much more to life than that. So yeah. How beautiful. 100%. And that's something I um, really try to instill in my clients is, yeah, it's great the day you run a marathon and you're like, what'd you do today? I ran however long a marathon is like 27 miles. Clearly I'm not a runner. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, that's awesome. But you didn't just wake up and get there every day. Like you got up and you made a commitment to yourself that I'm going to run X amount of miles today. And you followed through and you were disciplined, and you were consistent, and you became the person who can run a marathon. Oh, yes. Love that. Um, yeah. So you are currently also coaching, um, coaching people and helping them in their transformation as well. So, so many things that you offer. Um, I wanted to end with a couple final questions. Um, Ooh, I want to know in what ways are you currently living outside of your comfort zone? Well, earlier this month, I was like, okay, I started a podcast and that was really scary. And now I figured that out. And now it's like one of the favorite things I do every week, um, which side note, we will have to connect afterwards and get you on there. Um, (laughs) yes, come be on the create a life you love podcast. Um, and then I was like, but I don't, I spend so much time as you are right now, highlighting other people's expertise, highlighting other people's stories, bringing that out. And I'm like, I've kind of stopped sharing my story. I mean, I can like refer them back to my book, but I'm like that, that was a powerful piece for me. When somebody shared their story, 
and allowed me to see, oh my gosh, this doesn't have to define me. Like I'm not forever, like just hidden in this shame spiral of I should have known better, like, oh, whatever, all the terrible, horrible, mean things we tell ourselves. Um, And so I'm like, that was one of the reasons I started this whole journey was to share my story, to allow others to know that this is a blip on your radar. You're going to be okay. There is life after this. Um, And so I just was like, I'm going to start guesting on podcasts. So in October, 2021, I'm on, I'm on 21 podcasts. <laughs> wow. It's been busy. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. And so that, I mean, that's been a big growth thing because I had to re, you know, just get in that mode. And I, I mean, as I've demonstrated here, like I, I'm raw and I'm vulnerable and I'm authentic and I'm not showing up in this other way that I usually show up in my community as you know, well, here are my 10 tips. Like, it's like, no, let's go back to let's relive. Let's rehash. Let's talk about it. Um, because I get so sick of, and it's gotten so, so much better in the past few years, but when it was like, hush, hush, and nobody talks about anxiety, depression, divorce, abuse, like, oh, we don't talk about those things. Like, no, we need to be talking about those things. Yeah. Here I am being gaslighted and I don't know that that's a thing. I am married to a narcissist and I have no idea that that's a thing. Like we need to inform people. We need this to be in conversation so that when we are in it or we have a friend in it, we see it. Oh, that just gave me goosebumps because that is absolutely so true. I feel like there's so much power in in sharing stories. And one of the things that I think in people sharing their stories that they can see hope because they can see themselves in someone else's story and get a little glimmer of hope um, from listening in or be enlightened on some of the the topics or the the things that they didn't know about to help them move forward. And I just have to say, you had said earlier something about you thought in your marriage that you would be 25 years later and you would be looking back and being like, that was just a really hard year. But in your situation, in 25 years, you're going to look back and just say, that was a blip. Like, that was a blip. Like, I barely even you know, I barely even remember it now. It was so long ago, but it was a blip and it was like a really hard time in my life, but you know, we can move forward from that and create a life that we love just as you have. Absolutely. Yeah. And that that's huge for anybody going through anything challenging. This is a blip. Like think about in five months from now, is that somebody cuts you off in traffic. Is that going to matter in five days, five months, five years? Um, Just to help you put things in perspective. Yes. Oh, I love that. Okay. So my next question for you is uh, what three things are you grateful for? Yay. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to connect with you and your audience right here. I do like to try to think about what in the present moment am I grateful for so we can get so caught in past stories or what am I going to do next? Um, so definitely right now in this present moment, a lot of gratitude. Um, 
And then I'm grateful for, I'm looking out my window, my window is behind my monitor and it is the most beautiful sunny day. And like the fall leaves are changing. Like it is just gorgeous. And I can't wait. I get to go outside after this <laughs> and do a walk and I'm super excited. Um, and I'm grateful for my support system because my family and friends, they help me get out and stay out and not everybody has that. Um, and I don't know what my story would have been without that. And my dad also, I never saw or spoke to my ex ever again. He left that morning. We packed up. I left. I've never seen him or spoken to him again. My dad and the attorneys took over all communication. That was huge. Wow. Oh my gosh. How incredible that you had that. Yeah. That so when me. people are like, why, why would she go back? Why would I'm like, I know like I, it's a miracle. I didn't, I had all these supports in place and these levels and layers of support that allowed me not to, but everything inside of me wanted to reach out, wanted to reconnect, wanted to say, why, why did you do this? Why? Like I wanted that closure. I want like, <laughs> oh, I love your dad. You're great. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, thank you. Thank you to your dad. Amazing. Like, yeah. For giving you, you know, looking you in the eyes those days and telling you that, and then for allowing you to be like kind of clean cut from it, um, in the interactions, like obviously there's emotional stuff that, that follows, but I mean, that is a huge piece for people. Um, Okay. So what would you say to someone who's listening to this episode today? That's currently living a life they don't love someone who knows they want change, but doesn't have a clue where to even begin. Yeah. First you are not stuck no matter how stuck you feel or how stuck you believe you are, you are not. And as soon as you wrap your head around that, then your brain can start processing. So if I'm not stuck, what does that mean for me? What does that open up? What does that allow for me to start thinking of? And then the first step really is starting to create a new vision because our brain's job is to keep us safe and familiar. And if it's never done it or seen it or visualized it, it says, nope, that's not safe. So before starting my first podcast or before doing the book or anything, I had to create a strong vision as if it was already done to allow my brain to even allow me to do the steps it takes to get there. And wow. so, yeah, I, the brain is crazy. <laughs> like it's yeah. so amazing. I love it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And lastly, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, I'm old school. <laughs> I hang out a lot on Facebook. I do have an Instagram. I do not have a TikTok. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, everything is kind of under the create a life you love coaching brand. And so the book is create a life you love. It's on Amazon. The podcast is create a life you love podcast. It's on all major podcasting platforms. 
And then Facebook, I'm Create a Life You Love Coaching. And Instagram, I'm Create a Life You Love Coaching. Website, createalifeyoulovecoaching.com. Um, and yeah, in the Facebook community, Create a Life You Love community is where I do my live Zoom interviews for my podcast. Um, so always lots of free content and stuff going on in there. A great supportive community to plug into. So definitely come check that out. That's the Create a Life You Love community. And I love connecting with people. I jump on free calls all the time um, just to hear about your story and help you give any type of insight or next step. So I, I'm always sharing links to where you can book a free clarity call with me and we just jump on Zoom and I'm a teacher. Uh, I'm not a salesperson. So like if we talk <laughs> and we connect and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to work with you. Awesome. But if not, like I'm not going to at the end be like this pressury used car sales personally. I just, I can't, it doesn't work for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. So amazing. Yeah. And we'll link all of that, um, in the show notes, of course. Well, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and open and sharing your story. Um, I know it's just going to, uh, spark a change in so many people's lives who are listening and, um, give them some hope that they too can create a life that they love. So thank you. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.